0: And the red lights blinking. We're on. Cool man. Hello friends, thanks so much for tuning in for watching or listening whatever platform you're on. My name is Carl Sterling and uh, today is a really special interview for me for a number of reasons. I'll give you the two reasons in order of importance. Number one, the gentleman I have as a guest is somebody who is an icon in the music industry, a legend in the drum drumming world, and a man I've been following since I think the days of Funkadelic back around in 1980, man, I think when I first heard of Funkadelic, I was around 19 then. And that's the first reason is, is because he's here with us. The second reason is tomorrow's my birthday. So it's kind of like an early birthday present. <laughs> so I want to introduce my guest who is, uh, I'm so grateful to have you with me. Uh, he needs no introduction. His name is Dennis Chambers. Thank you, Dennis. How are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm okay. And yourself?
0: I'm doing really well. You hanging in okay with all this COVID stuff?
1: Yeah, I, I just stay home. Uh, the only time I leave this house is when I do, uh, when I have to go to my doctor's appointments and stuff like that. That's that's the only way you get me out the house. Or I you know, go out in my backyard. I got a nice little piece of property.
0: Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Man, so home for you is Baltimore, right?
1: Well, it is Randallstown. Okay. But I tell everybody Baltimore, because people know where Baltimore is. If you say Randallstown, then you're going to have to explain it, you know.
0: It's kind of like where I live, Baldwinsville.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: right. <laughs> Near Syracuse. But, uh yeah, man, Baltimore's, man, and Philly has cranked out some amazing musicians. I know you yeah. and I both knew Wilby Fletcher. I used to hang out with him and uh, take lessons, actually. He was up here for a while. Um, you knew Wilby, right? Yeah. Yeah, what a great guy. Yeah. First, I saw him first when I, he was McCoy Tyner and I lived in Chicago for two years 82 to 84 and uh, you know that was it I just was hooked on McCoy at that point but uh, anyways man so I know we've been talking a little bit here recently and I again I thank you for your time very much um, that the, our subject today is about success so the reason I I asked you if you're cool talking about that is because in the eyes of many who admire you, follow you and who you have influenced so much uh we look and say man Dennis Chambers he's had a pretty sus- successful career and so I'm wondering do you mind just kind of like talking about uh you know success what what it means to you what just anything you want to talk about that subject because to me, it's an interesting psychology and everyone thinks of it differently.
1: Yeah, I mean, success to me is is to uh, be able to, you know, pay your mortgage or your rent. Uh, success to me means uh, whether, you, whether you could, uh, you know, sustain, or sustain um, a comfortable lifestyle. Um, Success means a lot of different things to me. Uh, you know, having, being blessed with family, being blessed with friends, and uh, not staying on anybody's toes or, or have toes to be stable. um And uh, go through life uh, just trying to make people laugh. Because uh, after all, we do need to, you know, we're, we're at a serious time in life right now where people need to learn how to laugh more. However, you know, for Afro Americans, it's just a little tough right now, you know, because yeah. of what cops uh, have got caught doing and the system, how they sweep it under the rug. Uh,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, but you know, to me, it's uh, you know, try to you know understand that as best as I can, and. Uh, you know, try to focus, uh, bring the focus to the most important things. Those who had something to do with that uh, need to be, you know, punished for.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, um, I don't usually put a date verbally on my interviews, but right now it's June 4th, 2020. So we're in the midst of a number of things here, the primary two uh, in, in order of how they have occurred would be this COVID-19 pandemic right and that's really messed up a lot of things for a lot of people in so many ways besides the terrible issues that can happen with your health we have business shutting down tours being canceled I know you had a lot of uh, gigs scheduled and you yeah. have many you have many scheduled and you still wonder right we were talking the other day like are they going to happen you don't know yet right and then uh the terrible minneapolis situation with the 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 terrible murder there you know and and how the protest has uh, occurred protests have protests have occurred all over the country and you know i hate to see the violence but i i love to see the protest because it i'm glad people are really coming forth and expressing a voice and it's a tough time man
1: yeah, but you know, it's like how how it's being dealt with usually. Um, yeah, you know, what when, when people get caught doing wrong things on video, uh, especially people, government officials or people that work with the government, yeah, uh, they get caught and then uh, they show the footage on the news one day and it's being forgotten about the next day.
0: Yeah, it's true. It gives- uh,
1: yeah. It takes the only way people start taking notice, take notice is when things like riots start breaking out, when people start tearing up their neighborhoods, which I never understood that because it's like um, if you tear up your own neighborhood, man, like all the stores and stuff, now you have to, uh, anytime you need something, like if you needed something from the, uh, uh, you need to go to a grocery store, you need to go to a blind shop, you need to go get medicine, or, or your grandparents for that fact, sure. you made it harder for them because now they got to go way outside of their surroundings to go to maybe another county somewhere, or uh, yeah, another county, you know, to, to get things and pray that there, that there was nothing that happened there where you could get it. You yeah, know, I okay. believe, you know, that there's a peaceful way of dealing with this, uh, but you know, just got to take a leader to lead this like Martin Luther King, when we had him, you know, we had, um, you know, sports supposed to be peaceful rallies, rallies. And, um,
2: yeah,
1: you know, unfortunately still, you know, things that out there because that was a different time and age where, you know, you, you, uh, uh white supremacists and the way people felt back then, that you know, they were really, um, they had power, put it that way. They had a lot of power to do a lot of things. And then when the Panthers came in to, you know, stop a lot of crazy things, then we had like great leaders like Martin Luther King to guide us. Right. You know, to, to for, you know, do a peaceful rally. But man, these cops are just, they're just off the chain. I, I've seen footage. I mean, you make you want to cry.
0: Oh, it does. I mean, and I've been really sad recently. Um, I mean, I'm personally I'm okay, but you know, the mass media covers it one way. The other media's cover it in whatever way they do. But no matter what it is, it's not a pleasant situation, and it it's just sad. You know, I mean, I I don't understand the racism. I don't understand the. I just don't understand have you can, let me ask you two questions and I, I had no I you know no plans I, like I said before we started rolling let's be like jazz musicians <laughs> I hit record and we improvise but I think it it's relevant because uh, uh um have you for two questions in order of uh, just what I'm thinking how are things in your area right now regarding the protests and any kind of, uh, let's say, destruction? And have you ever felt discriminated against because of your race?
1: Uh, number one question: I, I live in the county; uh, everything's fine out here. But in the city, it's questionable. I haven't been in the city. Uh, I see things, news reports uh, in the city where they they had uh, they did some uh, peaceful rallies down there. And, you know, things kind of, it worked out, but you always get some ignorant uh, person who just want to turn positive things into negative things. And, um, you know, they start throwing things at the cops and yeah. then the cops get irritated and then they retaliate. And then all of a sudden now you got, like, you know, cops fighting the protesters, where it wasn't a protester who started, it was just somebody... Um, want to turn something positive into negative? Yeah, I remember one time uh, uh, I forgot the gentleman's name who who uh, was murdered here, and a riot broke out like a couple of years back. And um, I remember the news guy, uh, the, the news crew was downtown, and um, the cops were throwing tear gas, and the uh, news reporter. Got behind his truck or around his truck so they could get air, you know, to breathe because they were coughing like crazy and stuff. And then they saw they saw these three guys up on the hill, and they're throwing bricks at the cops. But he noticed like all three of them were dressed the same. So he went up on the hills to try to, they'll you know, still try to get some kind of report at this uh, or the reason why they're doing this, why they're throwing, why they're throwing stuff. And come to find out, uh, when they look back at the footage, it was a government official clothes, clothing they had on. Come to find out they were cops. Wow. They were cops, but they were skinheads.
0: Oh, man.
1: You know, and
0: yeah.
1: therefore, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, like these guys up there throwing stuff uh, to, to make, uh, uh, you know, you know, turn something positive, positive into negative, you know, it would have been a peaceful from Raleigh because all the cops were down there doing it was just trying to protect the stores and try to keep the Raleigh, move, just keep it moving on.
2: Yeah.
1: And then something was thrown, you know, they kept throwing stuff, and then the cops just looked at somebody, you know, and, and the Raleigh was just throwing stuff. And these guys were way up on a hill, off the side throwing down at it.
0: You know, a friend of mine uh, who in D.C. who's uh, I'm in the fitness and neural rehabilitation business. I work a lot with people with Parkinson's and mostly Parkinson's and MS. But a friend of mine who's a trainer in D.C. on Northwest Connecticut. You probably know where that is because you're pretty yeah. close to D.C. So she's yeah. just a few blocks from the White White House. She sent me some. Uh, her name's Deanna. She's amazing. Sent me photos from. Uh, Actually, the past three days down there. And again, we're June 4th right now. And it's, you know, there's some pretty seriously bad stuff going on between cops, tear gas, and peaceful protesters. Yeah. It's just really sad. It's really yeah, sad. Yeah, but
1: you know, it's just so freaking hard when you look at the news and you see like uh, somebody's grandma being yanked out of their door. I don't know if you saw that.
0: Where- no, I didn't. No, I didn't see that.
1: Yeah, it was this lady. I think she was like, I forgot her correct age, but she was a grandma, older lady, and the cops followed her home. Cops followed her home because she made a wrong turn somewhere. And they had some words, you know, when he pulled over. And she just, you know, thought she handled the matter and she took off. Well, the cops followed her home. And call for backup and try to create another charge. And um, it ended up with she comes to the door, they snatched her out of the door and threw her on the ground. You know, or, uh, you know, when you start seeing videos where a cop is trying to handcuff like this big black guy, you know, he's, you know, the guy's built, you know, and the cops are trying to put handcuffs on him, but try to imagine um, the cop has got his knee in your back and he's got the handcuffs like uh, or he's got the guy's arms, wrists, I should say, they and in up pat up towards his neck. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then he's hollering, the cop is hollering you know, don't resist. Meanwhile, the guy's in pain because he's he breaking the, the, the shoulder. Yeah. You know, or you know, you you see, you know, things like a lady get pulled over, you know, and this, this video came from a, a cop cam. You know, the camera was in the car. And the cop pulls this lady over. She was a white lady. And, you know, he's asking her questions and she answered the questions. And he was asking for her to get her driver's license and her registration. And she says, I'm not gonna move. And he asked her, Well, why? And she says, I don't want to get killed. He says, What do you mean? She says, Well, you know, everybody knows cops kill people. He says, well, No, we just killed black people.
2: Oh, jeez.
1: You know, so stuff like that. And that's what I mean. Stuff gets swept under the rug. It's like the stuff that you don't see. That came from a cop cam? Yeah, it was from a cop cam. Mm. And then they had another guy, uh, another incident. I forgot what it was. I think it was in St. Louis, but I'm not sure because it's been a while since I saw it. Where this 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 uh, older guy won the lottery, and he always wanted to have a, a Cadillac, so he went and bought a Cadillac, and he's driving along again. You know the cop cam, on uh, the ca- in the car, shows him and this uh, show the car, and you can hear the two cops in the car talking about, you know, crazy stuff about this car, and you know that black man must have stolen it. So they pull him over and they ask for his license of registration. And the guy goes, he showed the license of and registration. And he's asking questions like, Why are you pulling me over? Well, the cop gets a little heated, I guess, and he stopped pulling the man out of the window. And then after he pulled him out, you know, through the window, he slammed his face into the guy's car, the hood of the car, wham. And then threw him on the ground. And the guy was still, you know, trying to figure out, hey, man, why, why are you treating me like this? And then they started beating him. Because some more of his friends showed up. The cops, you know, some, some more cops showed up. So he's out there beating him. And they picked him up, and they take him to the police car, and they slammed his face into the hood of that car. Now his face, you can see the guy's face, and he's looking right at the camera. Yeah. And... You know, they—they, they, you know—the the gentleman is still asking questions. They beat him again and threw him in the back of the car. See, this is the stuff you don't see. Yeah. And, and, and this is what sparked a lot of riots.
2: Yeah.
1: And and, and and you, you know, know, like when when somebody you know make a statement like, you know, Black Lives Matter, and then all of a sudden you have people who turn that around. I mean, of course, all life matter, but you know, like uh, the ones who turned this thing around uh when the guy goes, you know black lives matter and um and all of a sudden it turned into you know like um uh uh you know it turned into some bad like racial thing, and it wasn't racial, it was like, well, look, first of all, you know, all lives matter, that's true, but however. You don't see white people getting shot by cops uh, or being mistreated. Um no. unless you're unless you're you know in a gang or something like that. But you know, and then the president got involved. And I'm going like, This is crazy, man. This is crazy. Yeah. You know, when, when it all started with you know the, the football player, you know, didn't want to stand up doing the, the national anthem. He just took the right. knee.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it was clear as day what he said and what he was standing up for, but no matter what, what he said and what he meant, somebody's going to turn that into something negative.
0: I think it's one of the biggest problems we have is that, well, we have a lot of issues, right, but as a society, but one of them is people uh, misconstruing things and making it mean something that it wasn't meant to mean. Now they give it new meaning and then they, it it turns into chaos. And, um, you know, this is a little bit different subject, but it's, I mean it to be the same. Uh, I travel a lot, not as much as you, but (laughs) I travel a lot teaching the workshops around the world that I do. And I was in Detroit, uh, it would be two and a half years ago. It was January of two, 2018. And the two ladies who were hosting the workshop I did took me to, uh, I don't know if you know the name of the place cause I can't remember it It's a jazz DJ club
3: huh.
0: and it's in Detroit. And they like, I walk in, and there's all these crouches and recliners, and they're playing like kind of blue, they're playing Love Supreme, they're playing, you know, oh and you could oh, they are playing some bitches brew and some early McLaughlin, and you could go up and request. It was all vinyl too. The guy's got a huge wall of vinyl, but on the side of the building, I'll never forget it. And I have a picture of me next to it. And I got a lecture about this last that night about it's the famous black lives matter wall in detroit on the side of that building
3: yeah
0: i was in literally dennis i was in tears because that was my introduction to the real history and the real struggles from the two beautiful black ladies and when i say beautiful these their hearts their souls everything about them are they're amazing people hosted me to teach my parkinson's workshop and when they took me there because they know I like jazz and they do too it was probably one of the most memorable evenings of my night because of the wall and the club and i just i feel so sad right now i feel terribly sad about the racism i feel terribly sad have you ever personally felt discriminated against yes mhm and i and I'm sorry to say this, but I'm not surprised because it's the society we live in, and I'm sorry to hear that about that but what what was that like what is it like for you it
1: i uh, it's a weird it's a weird feeling you know yeah. it's very weird you know like um the europeans you know the only thing they, well the europeans uh learning about uh, racism through the media. Um uh, there was a point in time in uh, like in the sixties seventies, you know when you know they didn't hear or they didn't know too much about what was going on going yeah. over here with black people. in fact, they honored black people, and they still do in some ways,
3: mm-hmm. but
1: you know like when you get uh when you're standing in line the of a hotel hotel, and then you get somebody who like come out of nowhere and he stands. He walks up and stands in front of you, and there's a line. And the minute you say something, you know, people looking at you like, "How dare you?" And I'm like, you know, like where I come from, you know, that could that could lead up to you know, a nice little butt whip in there, you know. And I'm the right guy to give it at the moment. So. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not I, laughing because it's you funny. You just have to shake your head. I mean, you just have to shake your head. Yeah. I mean, either deal with it, or you don't deal with it. But you know, if you're in a foreign country, you you know what happens if you do deal with it. It could get you, It could get pretty ugly. And then now you're you're in a foreign country jail.
2: Yeah. And now you're, you the, really
1: you're the bad guy.
0: You're always yeah. going to be the bad guy, right? Yeah. Right. Of course.
1: But you, you're in a fine country, you're in a fine jail. And that's where you really don't want to be, because. You know, like you could be in a in a jail where people don't nobody speaks English. Oh, and meanwhile they're beating the crap out of you because they're barking orders and you don't know what the orders are. Next, like, you know, you get hit upside the head, you know, because you're not moving yeah. the way they want you to move, or you're not uh, um, obeying the command.
2: You know. Yeah. I never. But yeah, it. I mean, but even
1: here in America, you know, there's some some things where. Uh, especially since this uh, president of ours uh, took office, uh, start seeing that you know, people get a little bolder. <laughs> they get real bolder, you know, with their feelings, and uh, yeah. you know, they, you know, you get people talk about, you know, with this president, you know, he, he's 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 the president's gonna uh, make America great again. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, great for who? Yeah. Now, if you're not talking about all, it shouldn't be you know like great for 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 whites. It should be great for blacks. It should be it should be, he's going to make it great for immigrants. It should be all. So yeah. it, you know, and what they're talking about is he's going to make America great again, meaning that white you know it's for whites, and it's like well, when was things tough for you guys?
0: You know, Where the ones
1: getting shot at, or shot, or killed?
0: Very, very rightly so, that's true. Um, you know, I posted a couple things recently about that, and I got a lot of flack for it, too. And I don't care. When I, because the, the people who were responding to my posts were offended because they think I called them a racist. Basically what I did is I said, if you vote for Trump, you're supporting racism. I think that's fair because when you gather the data which i did and i shared the verified data it's true his racism all right so when you look at that if you vote for him you're supporting racism and i will have no part of that so i had somebody unfriend me yesterday you know i, I feel bad sort of but i mean i don't feel that bad cuz she's going to vote for him then she's a racist that's just the way it is And maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being unfair, but I don't think I'm being unfair. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've, so, I mean, I, I think I can talk with you freely. We don't know each other very, very well, but I'm pretty sure we're on the same page here. I've been the only white guy in a band of black people. It was the best band I was ever in for a lot of reasons. I didn't even think about the race thing until somebody who is very close to me came up and said i couldn't freaking believe it i wanted to punch her in the face you know you're the only white guy in the band hmm you're right does it matter (laughs) (laughs) jesus come on (laughs) for god's sakes i was with the band for like 10 years so what (laughs) right (laughs) We made people dance. We made people move. We made people groove, and all that mattered is that people felt good. And we, we we're still best friends, all of us in that band. I'm not in it anymore because I suck because I don't play anymore. But <laughs> but you yeah. know the idea is well, you get the idea.
1: Yeah. Well, you know it's an interpretation and and. Uh how you perceive what information that you, you get, you know, you got to be very careful. Uh, you can you know, you just can't just, uh, get information and just don't think about things before you blurt out or, or respond to a lot of things go down that they uh, you know, choose not to yeah. uh, try to respond or, you know, try to get a reaction. I just look at it like, as if, uh uh you know the truth is going to come out, and when people get tired of being mistreated and, or or being misunderstood, when they get tired of that they're gonna they're gonna respond you know but you know yeah, but they don't need to be uh as uh, soon as somebody responds, you know normally you have people they, they, they try to make you look crazy or you don't know what you're talking about, or this never happened
0: yeah i've been accused when i post about this stuff about going through some kind of schematic gymnastics not actually sure what that means but all i'm doing is telling the truth and then somebody misinterprets it or more likely twists it into what they want it to mean to make them look right so they can vote vote for trump again and you know actually some of these people i thought they were friends but i don't know (laughs) It's getting really hard for me, Dennis. And I, I really mean this, and I, no disrespect to anybody, but I'm gonna be 59 tomorrow. So it's long enough of a life to realize that I don't really care what people think of me. It's not about me anyways, nothing is about me. What it is, is taking a stand for something. And hopefully I've done my research and I have enough of it to come forth and say, look, this is bullshit, it's wrong. Racism's racism's wrong. And, and if people don't like me, uh, you know, it's actually okay. I don't need to be liked by everybody. That's not my job anyways, you know.
1: Yeah. But not only that, you know, no matter what you do in life, there's always somebody who's going to hate or not like what you do anyway. Exactly. So you can't, you can't please everyone.
0: No, and when we try, and I used to do that, I was a, one of those people pleaser guys. You know, that's not our job. Just be who we are. Be authentic. Be genuine. And hopefully, not be a freaking asshole and racist and prejudiced. And uh, you know, help people. That's yes. about yes. humanity. Humanity. You know, help people. It's one of the things I love about traveling. You know, I haven't been to Africa yet. Uh, we're working on something for maybe Uganda. I don't know. But I've been to South America a lot, Europe a lot, Mexico. I love Mexico. I feel more at home in Mexico than I do in the United States when I teach, and oh, it's about humanity, beautiful, yeah, we don't need a freaking wall, just saying,
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> in
0: case yeah, you yeah. wondered, we don't need a wall, you know, immigration at the lowest ever, but whatever, illegal, I should say illegal immigrants. um so tell me like uh right now, we're at okay June fourth again twenty twenty um do you mind going back just a little bit? I have a couple questions I'm dying to ask you.
3: Go for if, it. If
0: you don't mind. I didn't tell you, I was going to ask you. What was it like working with John McLaughlin?
1: Because
0: I'll tell you, John man, like first of all, you you and, John and like Joey D or whoever. It's like, holy shit, man, what a freaking band.
1: Yeah, playing with John, first of all, you, you can't play enough drums for. And I, I kid you not, you know, and, and and also with John, John knows more time signatures than, than, than many drummers. Really? Oh yeah, because he studied Indian rhythms and stuff oh, like that's that. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the minute he hears something, you know, something that captures him or something he's, it it or it, uh, uh, it takes him a minute to figure out, he, he busts up laughing. There's a video of us on YouTube where you can see him laughing off the stage, off the side, you know, like he's I trying to dance. I've
0: something. seen a video like that. Maybe it's the same one. Yeah. <laughs> he's,
1: I mean, yeah, I love him. He's like my brother, man. He really you know, I, is. Never, he really I is. never
0: met him, but I just love I love John McLaughlin. And since uh, when I was in seventh grade, this is 1973. My English teacher turned me on to Billy Cobb and Chick Korea, Return to Forever, The Headhunters, and Mahavishnu. Before that, for me, it was all Buddy Rich. And guess what, man? I love Buddy, but so glad to find the other stuff. And then I was a McLaughlin, I'm still a McLaughlin addict to this day, man. I can't get enough of the guy. And Gary Husband's yeah. with him. How can you go wrong with Gary Husband, man? Holy crap. Yeah. And you and Gary are pretty tight, right? He's such a yeah. beautiful what a beautiful guy.
1: Yep, that he is. I love Very him. Very talented.
0: We've gotten to know each other recently, and it's just so cool. So yeah, that had to be really cool. What? Well, you know,
1: the cool thing is with John. Um, <laughs> when he sent you like these demos, you know, like we're working on a record or whatever. He sent a demo over, you know, because you know you're down here you know some you know give me some idea what, what direction you want this thing to go into and he sends over he sends over a cassette or you know a dvd i'm sorry a cd and like you hear the song and it sounds like first of all you hear like five drum parts going on at the same time. <laughs> really wow man yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my god
1: <laughs> And I'm trying to figure out which which way he's going, because they all make sense, you know. And uh, I call him up, like, John, yeah, I got the CD or I got the, you know, the content. Uh, Still a little confused, which way am I going? He says, (laughs) well, you got the CD. I'm like, yeah, I got the CD, but there's like five five drunk parts going down. He says, my brother, just pick and choose, just pick and choose. He says, uh, I, "You know, I wrote it. I wrote the song, but I'm I'm letting it myself."
0: <laughs> so you can you can take your own pathway then.
1: Oh yeah, and that's he never what he told wants, you,
0: right?
1: Yeah, he never told you what to do. He just you know, if he hears something that he don't like, he'll he'll you know ask why'd you do that or or explain that. <laughs> you know, so, so he could try to understand it or he's going to reject it. You know, fully. Yeah, but he never he never told me what to do. You know, he didn't tell any of us what to do.
0: There, there's a cut on an album. I don't know the name of the album, but I think it might have come out in the early 2000s. And all I can tell you about it is you're on this cut, and Michael Brecker's on it, and it's a McLaughlin oh, yeah. album. It is freaking
1: burning. Yeah,
0: I, I probably wore out the CD listening to that one. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, I got, I have the outtakes um, of us rehearsing the song and oh man, um, how we ended, you know, because I, I stopped and he's like, you can hear him go like, why did you end it there? And everybody <laughs> stopped cracking up. Oh man! And then we we went into something else, you know, that didn't end up on the record though. But yeah, yeah. So there's uh, there's
0: video. Of- One of the uh, uh, instrumentation was you, Joey, D, and John, right? Yeah. And then was there another band, though? Weren't you with uh, a bass band?
1: Yeah, the Heart of Things. um, That was Gary Thomas, Matthew Garrison, Jim Beard.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And Victor Victor Williams.
0: Okay, yeah. I forgot about that. Whatever. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Um, I love that stuff. Yeah, I don't know the name of the album. I can't remember, but I think and I think it was like two CDs. It's you and I think it's Joey D. It's just a trio. Yeah, and I, you know, I've listened to that so many times because it's magical. I I always felt like McLaughlin had magic about about him or within him, and then he brings it out of his players. Not well. I don't know if it's individual or just the chemistry, the chemistry with you and and any. McLaughlin incarnation was amazing.
1: You know, I, I you know playing with him, I, I've seen him go through some amazing things. Like we uh, we uh, we were going to record, and we did record uh, one of the records in Japan at the Blue Note, mm-hmm. and uh, we played the first night, and he looked like he was in you know really terrible pain. The next night, Joey and I played. Cause John couldn't get out of bed. He threw all the muscles in his back out. Oh wow! And uh, the third night, the last night, he showed up. I mean, we thought Joey and I thought we were going to have to do the, you know, do the show. You know, just he, he and I. John showed up, and um, you know, we're all concerned. You know, he's he's walking a little slow. Um, and he's talking uh but then i noticed when he strapped that guitar on and stepped out on stage it was like he felt no pain he was oh. bending backwards and i'm sitting there i'm like like you know playing you know i'm not playing to my fullest cuz i'm thinking he's going to fall on the floor you know like <laughs> you know like you know you know be in more pain you know
2: yeah
1: but you know i've seen the way you know he, he had cuts in his hands, and you know, like right where the cuts are when you play the neck of the guitar,
2: yeah,
1: is where the strings lie right in it, especially if he bent up, and that's very painful. I don't, I don't oh, know if God, you've really experienced yeah. that. Yeah. And and he still he just plays right through it, man. Yeah.
2: Wow.
1: And And every night, every night when we played, it was like he's he's giving it he's giving it giving it. Yeah
0: obviously he gave it all his all he's got, right? Oh, we froze up a little bit here. Oh. Um not sure if you can hear me, brother. We might have froze up. We're froze up, but uh we'll get back. Hold, just hang on a second.
3: There we go. Yeah, sorry about that. I
0: don't know what happened. It's all good.
1: Yeah, but he said, you know, you're you're playing for the guys. and and uh, and when he when he made when he said that, I remember a few gigs. I mean, the show was so perfect, and now you're trying to you know screw up. You know, I would like throw a drum fill, you know, like on the on the end of three I'll started there you know and just waiting to see how this is going to turn out and I'm surprising myself because I'm doing this and I don't know where I'm gonna land yeah and sure enough I come out you know by me you know like trusting my ears um I hear where John is I hear where Joey is and I'm playing like like way over the bar line but on the other side of the beat <laughs> and still end up you know you know, came down on one and I look over at John and then I look behind me because this was at the, uh, it was a club in, uh, in New York. I mean, they close it down now. Beacon Theater. Oh, yeah. No, not the Beacon. Was it Beacon? I think it was the Beacon, I'm not sure. Uh, right up the street from the Blue Note. Okay. Um, There was a club there and everybody played this place. But anyway, I looked behind me and there was a group of drummers back there and I'm just shrugging my shoulders. Like, I don't know what happened or, or why that worked, but it worked. You got to love it, man. Meanwhile, tempos are like flying in that band.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, they yeah. were very fast. And um, I remember, um, you know, of course, you know, with John, um, you know, treating it just like he did with the Mahavishnu. In lifetime,
2: yeah,
1: it just let it go. I noticed things got faster and faster and faster. And I remember one song; it was so fast. John had a problem trying to play it, and he was like trying to work out a new fingering. <laughs> and 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 me not realizing how fast the thing had gotten from the original. And I'm like, man, but you wrote it; you should be able to play it. He says, but didio. You know, we never played it. I never played it that fast before. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I can play it. I just got to figure out the thing.
0: That's great, man. I love that. So um, I was going to ask. Well, I, so I'm diverting slightly. The first time I ever saw you was in the early 90s. It's kind of a funny story because I had a gig in the afternoon and then they had the Jazz Fest here in Syracuse. And I went down. I had just enough time to get, like, one hour of Brecker Brothers, right, Mike Stern, and I I don't know who was on bass. And I didn't know who was on drums because I had no idea ahead of time. And so I'm off to the side, and I can see Michael, Randy, uh, Mike Stern. And about two minutes, it only took about two minutes, and I heard a Dennis Chambers drum fill. So, oh, that's Dennis Chambers. Cool. <laughs> so <laughs> i like, I I forced my way into the crowd in the middle because I, I was like, I gotta see this guy, man. I've been following him for like 13 years or something. And uh, what I the reason I say that is because you are one of those individuals who um, you have when you play, if people listen, and I mean when they listen. And they understand uh signatures, if you will. You have a signature, and this is, you know, I heard Dennis Chambers. Oh, that's Dennis. I got to check him out. I wasn't, I, I couldn't prove it until I saw you, but I didn't need to prove it because it was you. And it's something that I find really, uh, I love that about our, our industry. Our, I'm not in it anymore, but you know, when you hear uh Jocko, when you hear John McLaughlin, when you hear Herbie, Han- Chikari- you. You know, it when you hear Roy Haynes, when you hear Elvin, I mean, you know it's them. There's no mistake. And when you hear Dennis Chambers, you know it's Dennis Chambers. There's no mistake about it, and I appreciate that so much.
1: Well, you know, first of all, I started playing drums in the 60s, early 60s. Mm-hmm. And um, let me see, I started playing drums at the age of four. Mm -hmm. And I started playing at clubs at the age of six or seven. Uh, (laughs) A place called Big Place.
0: Yeah, I read about that somewhere. Did your dad take
1: you? No, no, no. A friend of mine, Mo. uh, Okay, cool. Friend of mine. And that's when I first saw. Like, I think that was '67. I think it was. uh, I saw Miles Davis in that same place with Tony Williams. Oh my and I, God! I'm not, man. I, I'll never, ever. I'll go to my grave and remember that one.
0: And you were like six seven. or seven?
1: No, no. I was, yeah, 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 like seven, seven oh my or eight. Oh God! But I mean, the dr- I didn't understand none of it. Yeah. All I knew was I was witnessing something great, and I couldn't explain it. Right. And I, I just kept my eyes on, on Tony. And it sounded like if 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 you close your eyes and just listen to it that way, it sounded like the Tony Williams band featuring Miles Davis. Yeah. It sounded like he was in control of it, man. But yeah. that band was it was something special. And the same thing like with the Bob Vision. You know, like when you get like four guys, well, how do you get four guys? Um or five guys. Let's
0: see, John. So you got Jerry, Jerry Goodman, right? Rick Lair. Yeah, so five um,
1: guys, yeah, yeah. How do you Yon. get five guys? Yeah, how do you get five guys and that at that time to do what they did?
3: Because oh.
1: they were the first ones that were doing it, you know, yeah. playing our time signatures with fusion and 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 coming out with this, uh, like power. You know, I mean, oh, man, I mean, I saw them twice, and there was another you know, one of those times where I couldn't sleep for 48 hours after I saw it. Because when you go out and buy the records and you listen, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, like learn what you can from those records. And a lot of that stuff was like way beyond me physically. Yeah. Because uh, Billy was just muscling, you know, muscling his way through the drugs, but also being musical as possible. Um, yeah. And just by listening to that, you you I, I you know, I was getting a lesson about music. You know, music don't have to be, you know, uh for the drum chair. It don't have anything, you know, you don't have to like, you know, play every time there's an opening, you know, you have to, you know, put a drum fill in it because you can. Um, you know, and then, you know, with, with, with John and the My Vision Orchestra, uh there was, you know, there's hills and valleys that they go through. Right.
0: Um, oh, but I think your video yeah. turned off somehow.
1: Yeah, somebody's trying to call me, man. I, I'm oh, sure okay. I, No problem.
0: No worry. I, Keep going.
1: Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Anyway, so you know, it's, it's it's hills and valleys, you know, that you go through. Meaning yeah. that you know, like there's you know, you know, there's the intense moment is the hills, and then when you go down in the valley, there's the quiet moments, the still right. moments. You know, the peaceful, you know, beautiful moments where. Uh, if you listen very carefully, I mean this thing could could change direction at any any moment at any time. Yeah. And I think that's what like with John, um, Herbie, you know, like all the guys that play with Miles, that's what it got from it. Because Miles was like that. And 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 I got a chance to play with Herbie. And I noticed, um, well, let me tell you this. I was with Santana, Carlos, had put a band together. I can't believe this guy's called me back again.
0: <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry, man, just keep talking. It's all right.
1: Yeah, so uh, Carlos put this band together. We were we were playing at Montreux. Yeah. And um, the band was or Herbie Hancock, John McLaughlin, uh, Wayne Shorter, Robbie Coltrane, Oh, it's Steve Winwood over there. Um, and
0: um, no slouches in that band,
1: yeah. You know, I'm sitting there, <laughs> I'm pinching myself, you know, yeah, really, because right off the foot of my bass drum, I'm you know, like my bass drum, uh, is right at the back of Chick's head, but yet I'm looking over to my far left and I can see Herbie over there playing. Or Herbie, you know, he's sitting there, he's smiling the whole time, and his hands are like hovering over the piano or over the instrument that he's playing.
2: Yeah.
1: It's just hovering and he just waits for the right moment to play mm-hmm. and then but when he plays it's like oh man it was the one of the beautiful things ever. Something about her. And, and, and then when he starts start soloing it felt like you know some people that he was coming behind or he came behind them. Uh, after the solo they said you know it it almost felt like herbie just ripped your pants down right in front of the audience
0: (laughs) you know he and i i'm not nearly the musician of as you are or anything but i have ears and i can hear things and i can appreciate a lot but when herbie plays it's almost like he knows exactly where to put everything yeah The, the the space between the notes and then sometimes there's a flurry of notes and the way he builds his solos, the way he builds, man. I saw him a few years ago with Vinny and James Genus And uh, uh, I don't remember who else, but I remember him doing uh, Dolphin Dance. And in fact, I didn't recognize the tune for like five minutes until they got into it because they yeah. he warped it so much. And then Vinny was doing his thing and uh, God, I, I actually have a bootleg of that. And it really messed me up in a, in a great way. I loved it, because the imagination, the creativity was so off the charts. Man, that had to be cool. What other moments yeah. have you had? I know we were talking before about what we were gonna talk about. Um, are there any like just epic moments for you that you'll go to your grave and say, whether it's music or not, this was like one of the greatest things of my life or a great experience?
1: Well, I mean, for me, it's it's all been a blast. Um, I, I grew up playing with all the musicians, all the musicians, or the ones that are living anyway. I play with all the musicians I I, I uh, listened to and learned from. Yeah, and if those for uh, for those that I didn't play with, um, I got to know some some of these people. Mm-hmm. And they respect me as, as as much as I respect them.
0: That's great, man. Yeah, that's great. So I
1: never thought in a million years I'd be you know sitting there you know, you know elbowing my you know you know shoulder to shoulder with Herbie or Wayne or you <laughs> yeah. know, where Miles Miles would uh, you got Miles Davis calling you or Joe Zavenu calling you. And uh, did you work with Joe at all? No, no, I you know what, man. I, I love Joe too much to, to work with him because I saw how he treated his musicians, especially drummers. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he treated them unfairly.
2: Mm.
1: And um, you now Joe, uh, when you play with him, he sort of want you to be his personal drum machine. And I think the only person that had freedom to do what they want, so to speak, is that drummer Paco, Paco Seri. Paco Seri in
0: France, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. He was the only one that could, you know, he could do, you know, whatever he wanted with the drums. Um, but everybody else pretty much, far as I know, it, it was crazy. And I loved the guy too much. And I knew that, um, you know, what I saw, and what I heard, there was going to be, you know, some weirdness between us. Yeah, I, I so can... why, why even adventure down that road if you know that's yeah. going to happen?
0: That makes sense. Uh, did, so you were, I know you did some um, a few years with Santana. What was that like for you?
1: That was great, man. You know, like, first of all, that band, um, it was one of those bands that was put together and no matter what you threw at it it never derailed (laughs) and um, you know there were some moments you know where we had the good sound check or rehearsal sound check and carlos would ask us to listen to you know like a couple of songs and he wants to do them that night oh so so now you're like, you're backstage, you know, like listening to this thing or guys who, you know, listening and writing parts down and all that stuff. Um, you know, we had those kind of nights, but, uh, and then, you know, by the time, now the crazy thing is, by the time he play, by the time he wants to play this thing, it's so far down in the set, because the show is like two and a half hours long.
2: Yeah.
1: Sometimes three hours. Um, where... Uh, by the time you get to it, you'd have know, forgot how the song <laughs> was the groove, you know, because you know, you got like two two hours of music in your head, you know, that, yeah, you, right. that you had to remember and and and, and perform.
2: Right.
1: But wow. but you know, but you know, that band was, you know, was a very special band, I I thought. Yeah. And two unbelievable um percussionists that I play with, which is called Parazzo, and my brother, Raul Rico, Rico. Um, oh, cool. And then I had to like leave spaces or I had to, I had to learn how to play or to how to give Carlos what he wanted with, with two guys and not getting their way. Yeah,
2: right. Because
1: I, I feel like music, music or, or, or playing grooves, um, it should be a conversation not everybody yelling you know during the conversation because if everybody yells who's listening. Right. Right. So and that's what made it work. I mean because they were thinking the same way. So I was blessed with you know being that that band where I had two guys or the three of us thought thought of this the same way. Yeah.
0: You know it's interesting. I was um I, I sort of know Mike Pope just a little bit and we've communicated here and there over the years. And the last September, you were in Auburn, New York, like a half hour drive from me west with Frank Gambali. Yeah. Mike Pope. And um, Mike and I were talking after the show and a friend of mine, um, Mike Cortese was there. He's, he says to Mike, what's it like to work with Dennis Chambers? Mike actually eloquently <laughs> stated, pretty much exactly what you just said about the Santana and percussionist situation about how you don't get in people's way and And somehow have a magic, you have a way of, and I've known, I mean, how can you not notice this with you? You draw people in, you you bring them together musically into this singular musical statement. And when it's your, when it's your time, you go and you do your thing. And I love that about you, man. I've always loved that about you. I remember also well, you know see the
1: thing see the thing for me is like i learned uh, over the years um I had to learn how to be disciplined because i i uh you know coming out of you know being young and immature and um playing you know like try everything is fast, just like what they do now, everything is fast um you know playing uh Grooves is is too easy for me to do because you know I you know, like I my body is developed or I, I put myself, put my body in a in a in a position where um you know um I have to or when I played at that time, I had to like try to play everything I knew at once and 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 try to um and try not to be tired. You know, physically. Mm-hmm. and But if I played simple music, you know, it was like I'm sitting there, you know, looking bored and looking around and stuff like that. But then, you know, like some friends of mine here, uh, like Ruben Armstrong, Ralph Fisher, uh, Bop, uh, Bobby Ward, and, and, you know, other drummers here. Um, you know, when I sit there and listen to them play, I learned there was beauty into you know, like playing those things, playing spaces, playing two and four. Mm-hmm. You know, and the reason why you know, it was hard for me to play two and four because I't learned all this stuff, you know, all these time signatures, because that's what I was listening to. That's what I was into.
2: Yeah.
1: but you know, and, and, and lost the beauty you, know, about, you know, about the ears and space. I understand and, 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 and um, in the '60s, '70s one thing I noticed that music is, is totally different than it is now. And I hate to sound like my my parents, uh, but um, music, it was almost like, it was like blasphemous to sound like, try to sound like somebody. Mm-hmm. If you're going to play that instrument, you got to find your own way, have your own style, have your own sound. That's what you were supposed to be thriving for. Mm-hmm. And that's why you you're like, you, you take, you take, uh, if you think back on the musicians and the groups that came out of the '70s, and all these people were so unique because they didn't sound like anybody else.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's like magic.
1: Well, no, it, it's magic, but also it's got a lot to do with, you know, um, you know, having rec companies willing to to take uh, a chance and hiring new things. Yeah. And instead of like trying to turn you into, you know, like the next, you know, like hit maker, whatever have you. And they think like in order to do that, you got to sound like them, or you got to come from that same concept. And if you can't do that, then they won't, they won't sign you. Yeah, Um, I've
0: heard stories like that. I know Jimmy Haslip has told me a few stories, like the Gino Vanelli story is a classic where, yeah, um i forget the gentleman's name he's an icon in the industry but he wanted gino to sing a certain way and gino said no he got blackballed and that was it you know where he could have been up here popularity wise he wasn't because he refused to lower his well in his opinion lower his stems but also even if it wasn't lowering it was changing what his intention was behind his voice and singing so yes. it ruined it for him sort of i love gino though i mean gosh um yeah that that's interesting um i'm diverting a little and i also don't want to take too much of your time here um so but as we work towards closing i just have to say i also saw you at the Trelf and buffalo with niacin oh yeah and that messed me up because i i mean this as a compliment there was the first of all the whole night was beautiful and intense and just like oh man i need this like i need like whatever i need oxygen i need this niacin like i need oxygen because this music is messing me up and i'll never forget that you you have this way of building and building and building and building and building and And then there's the release and I don't know what song it is, I have no idea. I have some of the CDs, I don't know the name of the song because I always forget names. You started doing a fill. It might've been the longest fill I've ever seen or heard. It was also the most appropriate. And and I was with a group of people and we're all like, ah, put on your seatbelts and the face you're making and the intensity and the, it's like, ooh. Holy shit. (laughs) I, I, in any musical situation I've ever been in, you know, I have never seen anything like that. And I was, I'll never forget it to this day, man. It was beautiful. I don't know how the hell you did it, but you must have a lot of like, uh, lactic acid tolerance in your muscles. (laughs) you can't do that kind of stuff if you don't have it in you uh dexterity wise or you you'll 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 stop your body will force you to stop yet you keep going and we're all thinking how can how can that physically be possible it was great (laughs)
1: yeah you know um again you know you know i kind of contribute all of that to like my my listening habits yeah. And the way I trained myself to play, uh, back in the beginning, when the middle of, of all of that, um, and watching you know like Billy Cotton, Tony Williams, with Jackie yeah. Jeanette oh, and Lady God. White,
0: and, love them,
1: and um, you know checking out Roy and El uh, Elvin. Um, knowing at the time I couldn't do it, but so therefore, these are the things that I have to work on. And I'm going to do this or I'm going to die trying. That was the attitude I had. <laughs>
0: no, I'm glad no, because, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I can see that. I
1: could see that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of times I would come out of that basement, my mom's basement, and I'm, like, way out of breath. And she'd be like, boy, were you, you know, I know you're down there practicing, but why are you so, you know, like, I'm drenched <laughs> from head to toe. And I'm breathing hard. Yeah, And I came upstairs just to get, get some air, you know, because I didn't work myself to a point where it's like, it was hard to breathe.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, because I'm, I'm doing all these crazy exercises and stuff like that, really not knowing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I was actually training myself, to, you know, for these crazy things. Yeah. And then, you know, talking to the other local players, and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. They thought I was like some kind of drum nut, so to speak. Uh, that had a lot of chops. And, and the guy, you know, he, the only thing he do is do his homework. he go downstairs and practice. Yeah. And yeah, OK, that's what I did.
2: Yeah.
1: But um, for me, looking back on it now, is like, um, you know, coming out of uh, East Baltimore, living in a row home. And um, I mean, some of the noise that came out of that basement. I'm amazed that nobody called the cops. Nobody never once called the cops. Wow. And I remember I had, there was a neighbor that lived uh, uh, coming out of our front door. She lived to the right of us. And she said she would come home from work and she would find the dishes on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> like a little earthquake
0: going on down there. Earthquakes.
1: Yeah, because I, I, like, I had like a, a custom uh, poke audio system. Okay. The speakers, the speakers uh, they were like four feet tall. Oh, wow. And it took like three, maybe four people to get them down the steps. And then I had like you'd know, like a 2,000 watt amp plugged into them, you know? Yeah. So therefore, when when I played music through it, it sounded <laughs> like the band was in my house, you know, or yeah. my mom's house. And then you got me over top of that,
0: you know? Yeah. That's powerhouse, man. That's great. Yeah.
1: So, but mainly, you know, I, but mainly, my 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 whole my whole thing was, I was gonna learn this or die trying.
0: Yeah. You know what? That's actually uh, when we go back to our very original topic about success. That's what happens to people when they're trying to succeed. They're really because they find a passion, and they put everything they have into it. It's like die trying. Yeah. You never give up.
1: Yeah. But also, you know, um I have to say, you know, we're, right now music and drumming I can't listen to the radio anymore because everybody's trying to you know, try to copy what was the last hit or the last the biggest artist out there.
3: Yeah. And
1: every, everybody pretty much sound the same. Mm-hmm. Okay, back in the 60s, 70s or 40s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um Music was how I looked at it is like music and how you approach music was like, you know, you're developing your own DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the minute the minute you you hear somebody like Steve Gann, you know it's him in two bars. And if you don't know it's him, you feel something in two bars.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well that's
1: that's, so that's that DNA, yeah. you know, like you know, if any anytime you can identify with it and it sounds like the guy, you know it's him. That's DNA. For me, Harvey Mason. Uh, you know, not a Michael Walden.
0: Oh God, yeah, that guy. You
1: Jeez. know, I mean, you yeah, know,
3: Ruther,
0: man, that guy did some great stuff with McLaughlin too. Um, yeah, remember that that one with Stu Goldberg? It's a trio, I think. It's him and I don't know, maybe there's more, but it's Stu Goldberg, somebody on B three or Oregon, McLaughlin. Yeah, I, I kind of. Narana. I kind of remember
1: that album, but I, I can't remember the title.
0: Um, yeah. I want to say Between Nothingness and Eternity, but that's not it. That's the live album with Jan Hammer and Billy Cobham and them, Yeah, which I was addicted to. I wore that out on vinyl. Um, I don't know the name of it either, but uh, there's some really great stuff there. Um, there's also, there's a song that you do. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's one of your solo albums called Paris. On my mind. Yeah. I love that, man. Yeah. I love that one. The spacing on that, the phrasing on that. Who's playing sax on that? Is it Brecker?
1: Uh, I mean, it's either Brecker or, or Bob Berg. Oh. I can't remember.
0: That's right. You worked a lot with Bob Berg, too, man. What a tragic thing that was. I, I only <laughs> saw him once live with Miles. And Vince Wilburn and that band. And I think it wasn't Robin Ford, it was the guy Foley who played for a short time after Robin. But God, Bob was a total badass.
1: Yeah, Bob was a beast, man.
0: So you work with Bob with uh probably his own band, I think, right? And then Stern sometimes and
1: well I started with uh, when I first started working with Bob, it was with Mike Stern. Okay and then they they uh they were off doing their own separate projects yeah and they ended up with both of them on their own projects okay things
0: yeah yeah well anyways that tune uh paris on my mind it's on your website too well at least it used to be I, i think it's still on there i was on uh for years and years i would listen to that song i don't know what it is uh, but actually when I went to Paris for the one and only time a year and a half ago to, to speak at a neurology convention I played that song on the subway. <laughs> I'm listening to Dennis Chambers, man, and because and, the song is magic to me. I nah, I can't tell you why. It's a feeling I get when I listen though.
1: Well, you know what? I you, you know that song came from um it's a John McLaughlin song and it came from uh electric guitar's record. It's on that? Well, it's called Another Title. I okay.
0: Believe. Oh, no can And,
1: and it's, 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 it's arranged a little differently, but once you hear it, oh, you, you know.
0: I got to check it out. I actually have that on vinyl, Electric Guitarist. I think Tony's on it a little bit. and Yep. Jackie uh, Jeanette. Yeah. Santana. Billy Cobble. Santana plays yeah. on it, too, at least one song.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, I got to check that out i bet i'm going to do that tonight when i get back home um so let's as we move forward to to closing um there's i know there's another thing i wanted to. so it's just off point for a minute last night just for fun uh it kind of came up by accident and then i got into it more i was i was watching a youtube video of you with Schofield and gary granger i don't know who the key player keyword player was but the song is on maybe Blue Matter or the other, another CD. I don't know the name of the song, but man, pardon my language. You were fucking with the time so much. I loved it. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I remember actually you did a clinic here in Syracuse back in the 90s. And we had a couple of local players, uh, Tom Burgandy and uh, Marco Panty were playing. And I worked with them a lot over the years. And they would talk about, jeez. I I was trying to count when Dennis was playing. (laughs) But you know, there's some magic about, well, a lot of magic about what you do from the simple groove to the space between the notes to the building and the building and the building and layers and layers and layers to the over the bar line, messing with the time. And it's all beautiful. And I want to say thank you, sir, for all your the gift of everything you've given us over the years, because you know, you're one of my biggest influences. I, I don't play drums anymore. I'm an adequate and decent drummer, but I'm not great. And I don't care to be great. I, it also wasn't my passion, believe it or not. I would rather watch somebody great than to try and play. I, and I, I appreciate that. It makes my life better that way. Um, so I have, thank you for everything very very much You're
3: welcome. You're In, welcome. welcome your
0: time today do you have any advice before we close it? any advice for the up and coming uh
1: uh yeah i mean i wish that uh the uh the newer guys that would learn to you know use their ears more yeah you know and take whatever you learn you know try to uh pick your battles or pick your time and place when to do these things. Yeah, Not to have to turn the song into hey, look at me show.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Hey, listen to me show. Yeah. You know, because, you know, I always try to tell people in clinics, you know, if you're the guy that's on the, when you walk into a room, you know, with four corners and it's a studio, or if you walk into a room and there's four corners and there's like, you know, 3,000 people out there. Um, um, you know, you have to, you know, like, you know, play, uh, you know, use your ears and play with each other and try to figure out, like, how can we make this work? How can we make this feel good?
2: Yeah.
1: And, and, and you, know, you know, I always said when you walk into a studio, for those who read music, uh, the first thing, when somebody hand you a chart, um, you know, they hand you the chart, the first thing you see it says drums. It don't say Steve Gadd, it don't say Vinnie Caledon, <laughs> it don't say Dennis Chambers, it don't say whoever the, the drummer they, that person like. Yeah, it don't it just says drums, meaning that if you could cut this track, you're the guy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But just because you know you have these facilities. That you could do all these crazy things that don't necessarily mean that's the you know like you could do this all the time.
2: Yeah,
1: it's like you know like the of course I could do that with John John McLaughlin. Um,
0: well, the gig would call because, for it though, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, because yeah, the gig definitely. called for it. Yeah, and 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 you know like with Schofield, you know it was the same thing. Um, but you know like when I played with Steely Dan. That's when you gotta turn that turn that water spigot off. Exactly, yeah. You know, now you gotta play. You gotta sit and play, um, play some music that feel. You gotta make it feel good, and then you gotta make sure you hear everybody because that was a big band. I think it was like three horns, two guitars, two keyboards. Yeah, bass, percussion, three vocals, and drums. Right. So I have to pick and choose who I wanted in my monitor and who I rely on to do certain things with. Right. And um, um, so you, gotta, you, you just have to learn, you know, you have to learn how to be disciplined to turn things on and to turn things off.
0: Yeah. Well, you're the master of that.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Yeah, people need to emulate you in in that department and you know be themselves, but also learn from your what you your words right now and from how what you do when you play, because uh you're always playing for the situation, not for you. Yeah. You know, when I saw you with Gambali last year, it was really interesting because um I'd never seen Gambali with his own band. I see him with Chick. That was it. And uh, you know, three, four times with Chick Korea and that group and uh it was really fun to see him. I I enjoyed his music. Uh, I'm really glad you were with him. What was really cool is uh how you just handled that whole situation and it's like Mike Pope Mike Pope said afterwards, says he's playing for the situation. Yeah. And he draws us together and that's that's a job of the rhythm section, you know, pull make it feel a certain way, make it feel the way it's supposed supposed to feel for the situation. Yep. Well, listen, man, uh, we're, we've gone over by a lot more than we were going to. <laughs> 30 minutes max. I actually meant it. Because <laughs> I really didn't think we'd be talking this long because I didn't want to take that much of your time. But at the same time, thank you so much, Dennis. You're welcome. Yeah, I really appreciate it. If you don't mind, for literally one minute afterwards, hang with me. I'm going to end the recording in a second. but. Uh, I say this, thank you. And tomorrow's my Welcome. birthday, so what a great birthday present. Where's the Happy early birthday. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. So thank you, and uh, uh, yeah, hang with me for just literally one minute. Um, people, I hope you've enjoyed this. I certainly have enjoyed this very much. It's been very interesting, insightful, and um appreciate you watching and listening. And thank you again, Dennis, my friend.
1: Welcome.
0: Have a great day, everyone. And take care.